0: If you are visiting with us and you 're watching online or here, so good to have you. I think you're going to find this uh, second part of this series on the superlative nature of love uh, to might might help change your mind in a lot of areas, so I would encourage you to sort of listen up to what we 're going to be talking about last week we we looked at at what we Call What is superlative? What does superlative mean? It means the highest, the greatest, there's nothing better. You couldn't go any further. That's the idea of superlative. And we've run out of superlatives to define this person's talent or ability. And then I, I listed a number of superlatives, some of which are just woven throughout regarding the subject matter of love. And these superlatives are not used regarding other virtues. Like, and the greatest of these is love. Or this is the royal law, this law of love, which means you're a king or a queen when you present it. Uh, love covers all of this or all of that. That's a superlative. Um, uh, love never fails. And when you love, it should be overflowing. Uh, <clears throat> over and over again, there's probably eight or nine different superlatives that are used regarding love that are not used of any other virtue at least not to this degree. So it's something to consider. And I made it very clear last week that love is not an emotion, it is an act. It is a sacrificial act. For God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son. So today, with what we've got before us, is this. Last week was more of a theological look at all the superlatives regarding love. Today it's how do we as believers, engage in a world that threatens our moral values, and we are threatening their moral values. How do we do do this? Uh, Does Scripture give us uh, some pretty clear uh, insight as to what it looks like to live in a world that does not hold to our values, and as time goes on, less and less? Of those values because of technology the internet spreads things so quickly that uh, the the crumbling of our world is even starting to bother people who don't hold to our values necessarily but they're beginning to think this is nuts and we've seen a lot of things so how do we how do we engage in that world that sees us as hateful sees us as intolerant sees us as bigots how do we break that barrier well, there's no just simple four easy steps that you can get through with this, but there are certainly some things I think we can, we can look at. 2 Timothy chapter 2. I want you to look, if you would, at verses 24 and following to the end. Bruce read this last week. Just listen to the instruction here. And the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Instead, he must be kind to everyone, able to teach, not resentful. Those who oppose him must, be, must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. Now listen to this. And that they will come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who has taken them captive to do his will. Lord, Lord, Thank you for this incredible revelation that we realize that we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and spiritual wickedness in high places. We're not wrestling with people. We're wrestling with the evil one. You've made it very clear in this text. We need to love every single person that is around us that sees things differently than we do. Maybe we understand that in a greater way today. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Just before we dive in, I also want to let you know that next week we start our parable series and Jim Supp is going to be kicking that off. It'll really be good. Um, When I look at this particular text right here, uh, you'll notice, and we'll see this in other texts we'll look at, it says, uh, and the Lord's servant must not quarrel. Look what we have been through (laughs) in the last 14, 15 months, there's been a lot of quarreling. I've been a part of it. But it says right here, we're not. We're not supposed to be doing that. We're supposed to be listening. We're supposed to be dialoguing. We're supposed to be loving people without caving that see things differently than we do. And I'm going to try my best to navigate some of these waters. It doesn't mean that they will always work. But we've been given pretty clear instruction from Jesus and from Paul and others. Then it goes on in verse 26, that they may come to their senses and escape from the trap of the devil who is taking them captive to do his will. We know that the world, the world system, is under the control of the evil one, John eight forty-four: You are of your father the devil. The lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning, and a liar, and goes on. And we see this in many different places in, in Scripture that, that there is a powerful force out there and we have to separate the enemy from people that have been taken captive by the enemy. That's who we get mad at. We look at, at, at the craziness around us and we get mad at the politicians or the people that are pushing this. We've got to go back here and say, oh no, they've been taken captive they, they, Father, forgive them. They don't even know what they're doing. And even some people outside of the Christian worldview are looking around saying, this is crazy. I mean, this is just plain crazy, some of the stuff that we're dealing with. But we have to realize that every single person, no matter what side they're on, is made in the image and likeness of God. And that's what we have to see. That's the first thing we have to see when we engage In any kind of a meeting, a school board meeting or a political meeting or this meeting or that meeting or family meetings or whatever, we have to see people made in the image and likeness of God who loves them with an everlasting love. We have to see that. We also have to define some terms. Because there's a lot of terminology that that floats around that I'm not sure we understand fully what it means. For example, when we use the term enemy, uh, we we read about uh, loving your enemy, which we'll see in a moment. But when we talk about enemy, we realize there are people that want to take us down. The term enemy simply means somebody that wants to take you out of the game. It could mean you know, if it's warfare, it could mean the enemy wants to kill you, take your life away. But many times it's, I just want to destroy your reputation on social media. I want to get rid of this group of people that are in my way. I'll take them down. I don't care if they lose their jobs, what have you. That's the enemy. But here's what strikes me. When Jesus says, love your enemy, are we also their enemy? Are we? It's interesting. It's interesting. I'm thinking, are we their enemy? We shouldn't be, but we will be perceived that way. Because they have a certain value system under the control of the evil one in which we will be seen as the enemy. But I think there's a way to break down that barrier or at least start to crack the door a little bit as we engage in some of this. There's also this idea of love if you love me, then you'll accept my values. If you don't, then you're intolerant. You're narrow-minded, you're a bigot. That's the narrative, that's the new love narrative that is all throughout our campuses, everywhere, in high school and college, but it's a false narrative. And see, most people haven't even been educated to think, what do I mean by enemy? What do I mean by love? And if we don't aren't on the same page, it makes a, for a lot of confusion and a lot of friction. Satan loves to divide. A house divided cannot stand. If you look at division, the whole subject matter of division, you go back to the very beginning. When Adam and Eve were walking in the cool of the day with, with God, they were naked and not ashamed. As soon as they sinned, what happened? They were separated from their creator. There was division right away. What's the next thing you find? Adam and Eve are doing just great in their marriage. Now they're blame shifting. They're saying, Oh, it's hurt you gave me this one. Oh, is it say no? Back and forth. Now there's division in the marriage. Then the two children, Cain and Abel, talk about division. Cain kills Abel over a sacrifice issue. And then all you see is a a narrative of divisiveness uh, just moving throughout all throughout the Old Testament. All throughout the New Testament, and what you, you see? You see a world that isn't just divided anymore. It's shattered. And the Internet only allows the trajectory of this to move at greater speeds and, and give out false information in many respects. I see that the, uh, they're looking into, into the root cause of all the homicides that are increasing. You know what the root cause is? It's called sin. <laughs> That's what the root cause is. But they're going to hire a committee and they're going to spend hundreds of millions of dollars and they do all this genetic... T- you know, you got sin. Just just S-I-N. They don't buy that. They don't buy that. It's, it's a, We can fix this thing. We'll, we'll, we'll get it all, all, all fixed up. So this has been going on for a long time. Then there's the Democrats and Republicans. Now, I'm going to get myself in trouble here. Just a second. I'm used to it. Um... The masks and the no masks. You know, I, uh, I, when this thing first came out, I, I kept telling the elders, I kept, I kept, they, they got tired of me telling them, I said, we know nothing about this. Nothing. We were getting emails from everywhere. And you would go to the Center for Disease Control and they'd have one view and, and I began to realize everybody was claiming that science was on their side. Um, this is a, uh, this is a, Cough drop. I'm going to tell you right now, I'm quite convinced that if I let this go, it's going to fall. Any doubts? Any takers that it's just going to hang midair? Watch this. You want to know something? If I do that a hundred trillion times, anywhere in this world, it's going to fall. That's called observable, reproducible, and measurable. That's science. (laughs) How far does it go? Oh, this guy. And we have divided over a piece of cloth. There are people that hate each other over this issue. Hate each other. There are families that have divided over this. There are churches that have divided over this. The nation's divided over it. Where's the science? Science is absolute truth. And when you have scientists on all sides you know it ain't science. It's a lot of guesswork. The truth of the matter is, we don't know the truth of the matter. That's an old tagline. At any rate. So now that I've gotten myself in trouble and stirred this whole thing back up again, we are entering into how this all should have been handled. And many people have disagreed with our view here, but have written very kind, loving emails or letters or had talks with us. Some, not so much, all right? But Jesus says we're not to be quarrelsome and fight and argue, and that's what the Apostle Paul says here too. So, even Romans, the book of Romans says, in the last verse, it says, and mankind will become inventors of evil things. There will be new issues, day after day, social issues that the enemy just keeps throwing out there Keeping, keeping us all off guard and, and trying to track every single thing that's under the sun and I'm glad that we have people here that understand these issues. I can't begin to keep up with all these things. And there's nothing wrong with being passionate about your issues as long as it's fueled in love and people will know it. They will know it. But keep in mind, more and more things are coming our way regarding this because the enemy loves to divide. Um, when we look at this, I want you to note that I've got a, a, a list of scriptures. We've already looked at 2 uh, Thessalonians, or Second Timothy. I want, want you to look at Matthew chapter uh, 5. We'll put this up on the screen. Here's what it says. You have heard that it was said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard that. It's not in the Old Testament to hate your enemy, all right? But I tell you, love your enemies. Now, I got to tell you, that goes against my grain and it goes against yours. Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. In other words, you might be manifesting what it's like to look like a child of God. He causes his sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Are not even the tax collectors doing that? And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even pagans do that? Be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly Father is perfect. God, there's that superlative again, asking us to be perfect. Love your enemy. Do good to those who persecute you. That's a, that's a hard, hard thing to do. Now, I'm going to take a chance here. I wasn't at the school board meeting, uh, and I know there was a lot that went on. But I know you only get a minute to say what you're going to say, but I I think that if I were given one minute at the meeting, knowing you have very strong views on this side, on the LGBT, transgender stuff, and you had a very strong view on this side that we think that's morally reprehensible, you've got all this stuff going on, and I think if I had a chance, I don't if this would be right or not, but I think if I had a chance I would say, uh, hi, I'm... Pastor Mike Minter, uh, the Pastor Emeritus at Reston Bible Church. And uh, I just want you to know, it's pretty obvious if I'm a follower of Jesus, I think all of you know what side I'm on. Uh, I, I don't believe in transgender or LGBTQ, but I want you to know something. That doesn't mean I don't love you. I love you with all my heart. As a matter of fact, if you have any financial problems, we've got a special fund here to help you out if you can't pay your rent or your food. I don't care whether whether you're transgender or what what you are. And if you get in a car accident and you get hurt, I'd be more than happy to visit you or get somebody on our staff to take care of you. You know why? Because we love you. And love is not to be construed as agreement, and disagreement is not to be construed as hate. Thank you, Madam Chairman, or whatever. And I'd walk off. Because I want those people to know that I disagree, but I still love them. And that's what we have to have come across. We've got to find a way to break the ice and, and have people go, "You're kidding me. You would actually come to the hospital. You, you're telling me, if I'm out of food, I could come and get food at your church, even though I don't agree with you? Sure. Absolutely. Come on. Because if we can convey that, that just might thaw the ice. It just might thaw the. Doesn't mean you can't be passionate. Many people are by nature very passionate. And I've been before to other ones, and I've been fairly passionate. But I, I do think that there is a way to let the world know, because politics isn't going to do it, let the world know what the church really looks like in the midst of these times. Proverbs 15, 1 says, a soft answer turns away wrath. I was in a meeting, oh, many, many years ago, and there was a couple, they were really upset with some stand i took or something this was a long long time ago had nothing to do with these issues today <clears throat> imagine somebody being mad at me anyway they were mad at me so i brought in a very calm person on our staff because i know how i am <clears throat> i can be a little quarrelsome so i brought in paul goodnight you know paul but he was here a number of years ago anyway and these people got really heated <clears throat> and i'll never forget what paul said he looked at them and said i'm sorry i can't hear you through your anger Whoa, Man, you I thought, whoa. I can't hear you through your anger. In other words, I'm, I'm blocking everything out. Could you, could you calm down a little bit? Can we just talk about this in a loving, kind way? John 3 tells us that Jesus says, uh, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for the fear that their deeds will be exposed. Jesus says, this is the reason that the world hates me. He says, but whosoever lives by this truth comes into the light so that it may be plainly seen that they have done it until it has been in the sight of God. Jesus says, the reason the world hates me is because I testify of its evil. Does he love the world? For God so loved the world, but he still testifies. And he also uh, tells us later in John 15 that if if you were a follower of me, they're going to hate you too. He didn't say everybody is going to fall in line just because you love them. But many will. Many will. Many will see something that looks so different than anything they've ever experienced before, they're going to want to fall in line. 1 Corinthians 4, we read this. 1 Corinthians 4, it says, To this very hour we go hungry and thirsty, we are in rags, we are brutally treated, we are homeless, we work hard with our own hands, when we are cursed, we bless, when we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answer kindly, when we have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. Here's, Here's Paul saying, here's how you respond in these situations that are so tense And so vile at times. And you know where these passions are coming from. They're coming out of the human heart. And the human heart is very passionate on many, many issues. 1 Peter 3, 9, we read this. It says, Do not repay evil with evil or insult with insult. On the contrary, repay evil with blessing. Because to this you were called so that you may inherit a blessing. That you might inherit a blessing. When we, when we do, when we bless people, we inherit a blessing. Everything is upside down in the kingdom. Everything is upside down in God's good kingdom. Romans 12, we read this. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everyone. If it is possible, as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. As it is possible. It doesn't mean that everybody's going to calm down just because you're, you're calm. Alright? Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, It is mine to avenge, I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In so doing this, you will heap coals of fire upon his head. Do not overcome evil uh, by evil, but overcome evil with good. Why does it bring coals of fire in his head? Because They've never seen this before. This is shocking to, to their to their ways. And when God says, when when Paul says, "Give room for God's wrath," you know what God's wrath is. God's wrath is not as much active as it is passive. It's oh, if that's the way you want to go, world. If this is what you want to do, then I will let you go that way, and we will sit back and watch the consequences. We will watch the endless consequences of having violated my moral standards and principles. And once you're buried under all that, then maybe you'll come to your senses and realize you need the gospel. That's what this is really all about. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, I think we have that. Now about food sacrificed to idols, we know that we all possess knowledge, but knowledge puffs up while love builds up. Those who think they know something do not yet know as they ought to know. But whoever loves God is known by God. Notice this idea of possessing knowledge. Uh, But but love builds up. This is why people get in arguments about the virus and the mask and the Democrats and the Republicans and all these different things because we think we know something, we have knowledge, and it might be correct, but love is going to trump that because you'll never get your knowledge across to somebody if you don't use the avenue of love, they're never going to buy it. They're going to they're get their, their fists up, they're going to get ready for the fight, and you're going to throw out your statistics, and they're going to throw out theirs. But if you are loving in how you present it, hmm, there may actually be some dialogue, no matter what side of the coin people are on in some of these areas. Now, I'm going to read a passage to you <clears throat> that I call the pig passage. It doesn't necessarily have anything to do with pigs, but I'll tell you why I call it the pig passage here. It's found in the Gospel of Mark, and I'll just, I'll just read it to you. And then I'll give you a little illustration regarding this. This is Mark chapter 7, uh, 13 and following. And Jesus called the crowd to him and said, Listen to me, everyone, and understand this. Nothing outside a man can make him unclean by going into him. Rather, it is what comes out of a man that makes him unclean. After he had left the crowd and entered the house, his disciples asked him about this parable. Are you so dull? He asked. Don't you see that nothing that enters a man, uh, nothing that enters a man from the outside can make him unclean? For it doesn't go into his heart, but into his stomach and then out of his body. In saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. Verse 20. He went on, What comes out of a man is what makes him unclean. For from within, Out of men's hearts come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, greed, malice, deceit, lewdness, envy, slander, arrogance, and folly. All these evils come from the inside of a man and make him unclean. And you think, well, that must have been addressed to Hitler. No. Mother Teresa, Billy Graham, you, me, anybody you know. That's the heart of man. What's causing all this homicide? It's right here. I think I got it right here. People would just listen to Jesus. Just listen to Jesus, all right? It's right here. And so the reason I call this the pig passage is this. If you have a pig and he's behind barn doors and he's really hungry, well, they're always really hungry, all right? And right outside those barn doors, on the left-hand side, is a pile of fresh fruits and vegetables, beautifully washed and cleaned, just gorgeous. On the right side is rotten cheese and meats and rotten eggs, and, and, and it's all stacked and mushed in mud and swill, and it, the stench is overwhelming. And you open the barn door. Where do you think the pig's going to run? Right to the swill. He's not going to run to the fresh foods. Turn his stomach over. He wouldn't even have to do with that. He's going to go to where his heart, what his heart desires. That's what he wants. That's what he lusts after. That's how he's wired. That's how he's made. That's how he thinks. That's where his taste buds are. Okay, let's change the scenario here a little bit. You're invited. A hundred people show up in an auditorium. Maybe they got some sort of a free pass. And there's going to be separate rooms in this, in this place that you're at. The MC comes out and he says, we have 15 different seminars we're going to run today. And you can choose which seminar you would like to go to. And you've got 50 Christians and 50 non-Christians all sitting in this auditorium. And he reads off the list. And he says... The, the first choice of the seminar is uh, how to retire early. Somebody goes, That sounds like a pretty good seminar. I hate my job, get on here. <laughs> Second, how to make more and work less. Oh, man, that sounds like a great one. Work less, get home. That's yeah, great. How to increase your pleasure portfolio. Man, see the cruise, the beach, the tan. Yeah, got it. How to get your kids into the best college without bribing the college. I'm sorry about that. Anyway, <laughs> sorry about that. Sorry about Anyway, how to get your kids into the best college, how to live longer, how to enjoy life, et cetera, et cetera. All right, now we have another set of seminars, how to become generous with your money and give as much away as possible. How to work harder and really use your time to invest in a world that doesn't want to work. How to build character in your kids rather than worrying about the grades in your kids or what school they're going to. Rather than increasing your pleasure portfolio, why not take some of that and take a nice cruise to a place like India? or down in the Amazon, or China, or here in the United States and go visit a poverty-stricken area and spend a month there. How about that? How to learn how to just get rid of as much of your financial portfolio as possible. How to live longer, how to use that time that you are living longer to invest in the kingdom of God. All right, folks, pick uh, pick your places. I can tell you which rooms are going to be empty. Tell you right away. Who's going to go to wanting to learn to be generous and give their money away? Why would you do that? Who's going to want to, want to work harder? Who's going to want to take a, a trip and give their, give their life away that they might find it? Why would you do that? Because you see, on one side, it's all about me. On the other side, it's all about others. Am I trying to get everybody to take a trip? No. No. I'm just telling you where your heart is and mine. Just naturally, we would rather increase our pleasure portfolio than to go to India and feed the poor. Who wants to do that? Not out of your heart do you want to do that. But we have been given a new heart. heart of stone. We've been given a heart of flesh. And the gospel really should change the condition... And the trajectory and the view of how we see this world. We should see time as short. And we're going to use our time wisely for the advancement of the kingdom of God. Can we take a vacation? Sure. Can you have a financial portfolio? Sure. But if that becomes your God, you're wasting your life. You are absolutely wasting your life. So when I look at this, I see this as as a manifestation of what God is talking about when he's talking about loving other people. Jesus hung around the very people that Christians sometimes they look down on and hate. That's where he spent a lot of his time, ministering and caring for those types of people. I'm going to leave you with two taglines, one I think I've already given. Love is not to be construed as agreement and disagreement is not to be construed as hate. If we can get that, across to, the, to our enemy, to people that see us as the enemy. If we can let them know, I can love you without being in agreement with you. We just simply come from two different places. as how we were raised and what we think and what we believe. And, and, and I hope we can be friends in this dialogue. And the second one is this. The gospel is best communicated when the conviction of those who believe it can be observed by those who don't. And if they see yelling and screaming and quarreling and arguing, they're going to go, why would I want to join that team? They want to see something very, very different, something that goes totally against the grain of human nature. They want to see people that are passionate about the gospel and what they believe, passionate about their moral values, but doing it in a kind and loving way. That's not easy. It's not easy. And even as I've written some of this down, I've thought of these last couple of questions here. Have we been quarrelsome through all this? Is there anybody that we may need to go ask forgiveness for? When I think of families that have been divided and people that are not even talking to each other over masks or how you voted, I'm not sure Jesus is too excited about that. All right? you can have opinions. But to divide and be conquered by the enemy? Something not wrong. Has our knowledge of everything trumped our love? Our love should trump our knowledge. Knowledge puffs up. Love builds up. And it's just not some mushy thing. It's active. It's loving to go to a, to a teacher's meeting. It's loving to present your view. Just do it in a loving manner. Might we have to seek forgiveness of people that we have offended or hurt in the midst of all this? Go back and say, I'm really sorry for the way I've handled that. If you're watching online, there's something else, very interesting. In the book of Romans, we're talking about enemies. It says, while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. He refers to us as sinners, enemies, and ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. that's, That's us. We're all ungodly. Nobody's like God. So no matter where you stand on all these different matters... You would have to see and recognize that what is burning within you is unresolved conflict in your own soul that you can't seem to you can't seem to reconcile. And so that while we were yet enemies, Christ died for us. I was an enemy of God for a long time in my life. I shook my fist. I did what I wanted to do. I was going to run my life. One day I heard the good news of the gospel. And it turned my life upside down. And I'm still fighting myself all the way through to the end. I'll be battling my flesh. I'll be battling my selfish desires. But I know that there is now therefore no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. And that includes you if you've never put your faith in Christ. What does that mean? It means that Christ died and paid the penalty for the, the sin that's within you. That, we, that I just read off that Jesus has this whole list of the, the junk that's in all of us. And the wages of sin is death. So he paid those wages. He paid that penalty. And when you put your faith in Christ and that message of the gospel, the good news, guess what? You pass from death to life. You leave the kingdom of darkness and enter the kingdom of light, the kingdom of God's dear son. You're no longer under condemnation. You're now forgiven. That's the good news. And I would trust that if you come to that good news, you will move forward in advancing the kingdom of God in a loving manner. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege we've had today to look at your word, to see what you have to say about the superlative nature of love. And so, Father, I pray that there should be one here or anyone watching that today would be the day of salvation, that they would see their desperate need to come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. In the quietness of their heart, they would believe that message. Now, Father, I pray that you would dismiss us with your grace, with this last number, and I pray, Father, that we would go forward with a great desire to lovingly advance the kingdom of God in the midst of a dark world that is crumbling rapidly. But, Lord, we are still the light of that world. or the salt, and we must bring it forward. So, Father, now we just thank you for all that you have done and for what you will do. We pray it in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen.